And we're back on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. And yes, sir. We are talking. We are rolling over there, right? We're, yeah, we're rolling. Okay. We're talking uh, podcasting at the pub. Podcasting at the pub, Ash Sherlock edition. Uh, this is the episode where we have a bunch of people either DM Scott on Instagram some questions that they have if they're not going to be here on Wednesday nights at 630, which you should be. Or... Uh, a lot of people will come up and ask. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, a lot of people will come up to the mic that's located just to the right of the camera or left of the camera, I guess, uh, to ask a question live. So, um, be here on Wednesdays at six thirty. It's an awesome time out here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. And um, also, quick plug. Well, first of all, follow Scott on Instagram at Sassy Golf. That's where you can be sure to know what's going on. Uh, in Scott's world, the teaching world, where you're going to shave strokes off your score. But also, make sure that you go and download the Franklin Bridge Performance app. Uh, Franklin Bridge Performance, if you search it, it's only available on the Apple App Store right now. It'll be available shortly on the Google Play Store, uh, just because Google has a little bit of approval time that they have to go through for their apps. But it's just a different, just different, you know? Just different. But go over there, sign up. Go see what's happening. It's basically like social media, uh, but for people who want to shave strokes off their scores in Scott's lessons. Yeah. And you well, can have book lessons exclusive content well. in there. You can book lessons in there. Yep. Uh, we're going to do some stat tracking stuff where as long as you're a student, um, I'm going to do some winners. We're going to start all that in August. Yep. Um, but uh, for most improved uh, leaders in each category, both guys and girls, men and women, um, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Um just all designed to make you better and kind of a little picture into the future of the instruction program here. Not futures looking bright. So um, we are going to go ahead and start off with our digital edition questions that we got uh, through Scott's Instagram at Golf. So uh, let's start off with a interesting one here. Uh, thoughts on lag with the full swing. Yes. Yes, there should be lag. <laughs> yes. Um, well, it depends on the shot and how much. Um, it de- I mean... Uh. First of all, describe lag. So, a lag by definition is to stay behind or to follow. So, you know, it's a, you're going down the trail and you're like, stop lagging behind, man. Like, come on, catch up. Um, you want lag in the golf swing mainly to produce... Um, Solidness of contact, a forward-leaning club shaft. Um, you also want lag um, to produce power. So the more lag you have, to to a certain degree, again, there's. I could go on a long dissertation here, but um, for the basic listener, lag produces more distance. I've had uh, so this has happened. This is kind of a fun um, tie-in. I've had some really high-level players before ask me this question. They ask like, "Okay, well." According to TrackMan data, like I have the same seven iron club head speed as the average tour player. Like I got my TrackMan data. Like how come they hit it further than I do? And this is we're talking somebody who's a really good player, like single digit scratch or you know better than scratch player. And I'm like, well, your seven iron at impact looks like a seven iron. Their seven iron at impact looks like a five iron. So 
even with the same club head speed, you have less loft at impact because the the grip is ahead of the club head. And so um, you want lag in certain shots and you want it out of others. Uh, I even encourage a little bit of lag in putting, um, depending on the style of putting stroke that you have and the putter set, like there's a lot of things there. But there are certain shots in pitching and chipping that you don't want any lag. Um, but how you do that is the crucial component. A lot of people try and take lag out in their short shots to quote use the bounce incorrectly like they do that with a flip of the wrist rather than a roll or just setting the face open and letting the face do the work to produce the shot they want now some very high level players can do a lot of wrist work but you're talking elite 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 players so it's We're not out. my preference to teach that um in this game we're out here on the back porch eating wings while we're trying to podcast and it's just not going well i just dropped mine but <laughs> anyway that's all right i guess uh my thoughts on lag coming from a different sport as well coming from baseball it's like you have to have bat lag i mean yeah we we will always in baseball you always teach it about uh like staying you want to throw your hands at the ball with the with the knob of the bat the one that the thing that comes down at the at your hands you want to throw that knob at the bat first man we got a bunch of background noise here at the pub uh you want to throw that knob at the bat at the ball first so that way you're creating that lag right and then when your arms inevitably come through your hands are out in front of the ball and so that will actually lead to in the same way of golf a better compression of the baseball, better compression of the golf ball and have it jump off that club face rather than we've all had those shots where it just feels like a brick hit the ball. Yeah, and, and not everybody can produce lag. There's You have to be able to create some body speed. Um, some people will try and create lag just with their hands and their arms become very stiff. And so doing, unless you're a hitter, which is a completely different style of swinging the golf club, hitters versus swingers, That ooh, we should do a... We should do a podcast on hitters versus swingers. Um, but uh, hitters versus swingers, the reason why hitters need to hit and swingers need to swing and why everybody's been trying to swing. So, um, But not everybody can achieve lag in the golf, in the golf swing. <clears throat> Woo, went back to a 13-year-old boy there. Um, but it is, it is possible to reduce the amount of not lag that you have. Or increase the amount that you could have, but if you can get the club face under control and the path of the club under control, you can get away with not having lag by changing your setup. And I've I've taught players, been able to shoot some very low rounds without any lag. So what's the benefit of lag just for the average golfer that's listening at home? I would generally describe lag as the super glue that holds a golf swing together. You know, it it allows it to stay more stable. When you don't have lag, when those wrists move into a position where that club head can really kind of wiggle too much, um, and so it will limit how low you can shoot. There's, there's a ceiling there um, of what you can do. But you can get pretty low without it. It's just you better be really good on plane and have a great club face control and then have a ball position stance, all that, that lines up with that. Would you say that lag creates a better um like more margin for error as well oh absolutely i, I think that's this is a perfect way to put it great great well those are our thoughts on lag thank you 
to the person who submitted it. It's in every sport. It really is. Every swinging sport, at least. Yeah. I mean, same thing in soccer when you kick. True. There's some lag in that foot. Your body is coming before your foot does. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. Well, there's lag for you. All right, next question coming in. Wedges. Um, talking about, say you have 77 yards to the pin. What is a good way to learn how to hit 68 and not 77? So being able to hit it at 68 and let the ball run out or being able to hit, let's say, 75 and spin it back like what is the key to getting that ball as close to the pin as possible i'm gonna let you answer that first okay from from your perspective because it's something that you've been working on a lot yeah um and i think you've learned to dial it in a little bit and you're getting better at dialing it in yeah definitely um i still have trouble that's i still have trouble with stuff that's like 30 to 50 but I'd say anything after that, I'm usually like pretty decent about controlling distance. But I think the like the amateur takeaway from this one is the first thing that comes to mind is like pin placement, right? So like I don't really I'm not gonna think about what I need to hit until I see the pin, right? Um, and so for example, like if I do have a lot of run out length. I won't mind, like, there's a lot more margin for air there, right? So it's like, say I have 77 yards to the pin, but a massive amount of run out. Like, I can hit the, I can afford to hit, like, a 60 shot. And, if and it let spins, it release. It, yeah, and let it release. If it spins, it spins. If it gets close, it gets close. But, like, at least I didn't go behind it, right? Yeah, it's really cool. If you play here at Franklin Bridge versus you go play at um, Belmede Country Club, you have bent grass greens over there at Belmede. You have Bermuda grass greens that are here, both running the same on the stint meter. Both of them um, top dress every week. And you can hit a 70-yard shot there at Belmede. That'll take one hop, spin to the right, or spin back a little, or just stop. And here, the exact same shot in the exact same conditions will release 25 to 30. Exact same swing profile. So you've got to understand, kind of to your point, like, what the conditions are that that ball is going to land in. Not only the conditions, but, like, your own swing style as well, right? Like, Correct. The in, like, everybody's wedges are going to do different things, right? And also, speaking of that, we haven't even talked about uh, lofts of the wedges, right, too. So if you're hitting a 60, you better hit it, you know, 72 to 77, if you're hitting yeah. a 56, 52, whatever you play with, like you have a little bit more margin for error because that ball's going to roll out more. So Correct. Well, <clears throat> think about what you're hitting as well. So there's a traditional thought of like a clock system. Like I take it to 9 o'clock or I take it to 10 o'clock. Nobody does that in basketball or baseball. Okay, I got to throw it from shortstop to first or like how hard do you throw that? I don't know. Hard enough? Like – how hard do I shoot a basketball from the second hash mark or the third hash mark? Nobody's going, all right, I got to bend my knees into a, into a 230 position. And then, and so I, you know I think what golfers lose is the athleticism by trying to get a system rather than just learning how to feel. Yeah, because I was about to say, like, that feel is going to be super important because in any other sport, like, specifically talking about baseball, it's like, we can throw from over the top, from sidearm, from you know under if we're feeling fielding a slow ground ball or something, and it's like 
it just kind of happens because you practice it and because you've practiced well it's it's because you practice it and also like we're not afforded the same amount of time that golfers are right when like i can step up to the ball i can read all my conditions i can read what club i'm gonna pick whatever it's like in baseball for example it's kind of like the ball comes to you you gotta throw it so we don't even think about that but i think that a lot of golfers will psych themselves out in certain conditions and short and short stuff so let's Let's tie this into something that uh, happened to me the other day by the time this podcast comes out. Something happened to me the other day, uh, which is actually yesterday. I played from the blacks with just a seven iron. No putter, no wedge, no nothing, just a seven iron. Played it all the way out. Um, And I was playing with a guy who hits his driver, can hit it a little further than 200 yards, but that's about my seven iron, full out. Um, And so I got an experience of what it's like to hit a, 200-yard tee shot from the tees that somebody who hits it 200 yards might play from. And a couple of things. A, you need to have a great short game, and it's something anybody can develop. The full swing is a whole other animal all by itself, but everybody can develop solidness of contact with their wedges and learn how to control distance. But the first hole is 7-iron, then I've got 140 yards approximately. I, oh, also, I didn't use a rangefinder. And I was just going all feel. All I had was a 150 marker. So I had like a bearing. I didn't walk anything off. I just kind of looked at it and went, eh, it's about this. And the flag, eh, it's about that. And so I <clears throat> um, shot three over with just a seven iron. Um, but you have to have a great short game. But the other thing is distance control is huge. Just learn to hit your iron solid so you've got some control over your distance. And, you know, I had 140-yard shot there. Then the next hole I went seven iron, seven iron. And I had 65 yards in with a 7-iron. I wonder what you two. could have done with, like, a 7-iron and a putter. Yeah. You I, know? I, I kind of want to go back and do that again. Like, that would, that would be neat to see. Um, but what's missing with those players is such a focus on hitting it straight that they lose the focus on hitting it the correct distance. And a lot of times by doing just that, going back to my winter series that I ran on Instagram of – just learn to swing between the two tees and find the middle of the club face. I really don't care how you do it because then you're going to get a more predictable distance. Um, well, I need to hit my 7-iron 150 yards. Who says? Like I hit my 7-iron 110 when I was playing out there. And so I think what you just said was that. pretty prophetic in itself too. I was at um, – I went and got my yardages on a track man a couple weeks ago. And I noticed that, like, my yardages were, you know, let's say it was, like, 148 to 157, you know, or, like, uh, 200 to 220. And I was like, man, like, I kind of know what I need to work on as far as, like, just solidness of contact, right? It's like these guys out there on tour, like, the reason why, and to go back to this question, too, like, the reason why they can hit it exactly 77 or exactly 75 or whatever the yardage is it's because they they literally know what swing they have to produce in order to make that yardage but i feel like in in amateurs and frankly in anybody but the top players in the world have trouble with is like man this shot could go 148 it could also go 155 and like 155 might be off the green potentially so you really have to be strategic with how you're playing so i think that would be my advice to the amateur is like leave yourself enough margin for air to where you can still produce a good shot well and as we're talking through this i'm kind of thinking 
What would happen if people stopped trying to work on hitting it straight and they started working on how far they hit it? You know, it's, it's almost, and like in the first chapter of my book, I talk about go get your trackman yardages. But as I sit here and as you talk about it, I'm going, this is kind of actually dumb. Like you almost, you only need, what's the max it goes? Yeah, well, and think about this too. Because you can hit it, uh, uh, actually, yeah, it's funny, this is a Sneed thing. He got asked a question, tying back to the last episode, he got asked a question in an interview one time, well, how far do you hit your six iron? He said, I hit it from one to 130 yards or whatever the number was. I can hit any yardage in there that I want. Interesting. Because there's going to be who knows how many scenarios in which I could do that. So I, I wonder if we started focusing exclusively on how far we hit the ball, how much better we would get. And to hit clubs different distances. Like well, think about it, too. Hit 100 yards instead of 150. If you're focused on distance, right? you have to hit the ball relatively straight to get your distances. So it's like Mm -hmm. if you're focused on hitting the right yardage, there's a pretty decent chance that that ball is going to fly straight in order for you to hit that yardage, Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, It's it's funny playing with just a 7-iron. I had to hit that from no yards off the green, like 40 feet and had to putt it all the way up to a 200-yard shot. I stretched it. <laughs> I had to stretch it on seven because I was at 200 yards but on an uphill lie. So we're talking 220 with a seven. Yeah. And I needed it to at least, and that would come back to about 180. I was about to say adjusted like and it 215. Would go, and would go into the hazard. So I had to push it to 220 to get it 200 Whew. to just clear the hazard. And I pushed it a little right, and we get up there, and no joke, it's the width of this table plugged in the rough had, had just got over the hazard which is all the deep stuff you're not gonna hit out of there anyway uh just a little to the right so it went over the trees to the right oh, but got you. like i knew i could also stretch that further i had that option i had the ability to stretch it further um and if you don't have the shot that's fine but it's all like i realized distance control is absolutely paramount if you're somebody who doesn't hit it very far i know that's weird to say but well, but I need to hit it further. No, you don't. You need to control how far it goes. And if you watch tour players, they rarely miss long and short. They do. But they rarely miss long and short. You've got to learn. But they miss left and right way more than they miss long and short. This kind of parlays into a question that I had, or not necessarily a question, but just like a topic to bring up as well, where it's like um, I was playing the other day. It was my, uh, my first round after my eighty. And I was like, oh, shoot, I might get this if I go out and play like tomorrow or whatever it was like or two days from then. Um, and man, I don't know. I, Scott, you know me and, and people who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, know me to a degree. And it's like I've got a pretty strong head game. I'm, I'm absolutely you do. I'm pretty mentally strong. But um, man, I was I was paired with a group that day where. I went like I don't know what the actual numbers were because I just got him freaking frustrated after a while. But it was like bogey, double, bogey, double, triple, double, par or something like that. And then I was just like paired with this group where I just could not get in a rhythm. I couldn't think. I couldn't get comfortable. There were so many things just like going on with my in my head. I was just like, man, like I just this I, I just can't play golf today. <laughs> yeah. And so 
question when you have a bunch of things going on in your brain like that, or you're not playing with your favorite group in the world, because these, or these you got stress like college, like you got things going on in life, yep. you got things going at home, like just life is hard sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, like the same way too. Like these tour pros go out and they like they get matched with people and they might not enjoy playing with them all the time, right? But it's like, how do you lock in and play your own game when you got a million different things going on in your head? Yeah, um, I I think that's one of your skill sets that you normally are really good at. Um, you just had an off day. You're really good at compartmentalizing parts of your life. I don't think you were able to separate them when you were out there playing because the stress was in front of you. The stress wasn't not here. And so being able to compartmentalize stress, I think is a learned skill. I, I don't think, like it comes natural to some people. Um, it certainly comes more natural to you. But yeah, um, but Learning to compartmentalize frustration or just life events is phenomenal. I remember when Phil Mickelson played really well in the early 2000s, and his, uh, I remember it was his wife or his mother-in-law or both uh, were struggling with cancer, breast cancer, and he was going out and playing great. Like, that, that is stressful. And it's like, oh, he was playing for her. I was like, nah, that, none of that works. Like, you don't play for somebody else. You play golf for you. Now, you may say that on the back end as a debt of gratitude, and maybe it was something kind of got you a little motivated to start, but you don't carry that for the entire round. you got to get into your space and play. Um, but <clears throat> I think sometimes you can – I like to make things a game. Right? The, question, the game is like, can I beat my stress? No, you don't own me anymore. I had a player text me the other day who gets really frustrated sometimes when they play, and – starts to have a bad attitude, and uh, they said they finally just got out there and yelled at themselves out loud, stop it. It's just like we so easily sit there and listen to ourselves and ruminate. You have to get on something else. Like, okay, so how to handle it. Um, let's say it's outside of golf. Journal your thoughts. Get them down. Get them out of your head so you stop sitting there mulling about it. Because it's like you're trying to problem. Part of that is your brain's natural way of trying to process stress. And so journaling can be a very effective technique. And maybe you don't journal, but you just grab a piece of paper and you write it all down and you throw it away. If you materialize the thought, in, in, if you manifest it in, like, in the real world, right? if you write it down, if you say it to yourself every day, if you, um, I guess those are like the two things, I guess. But if you can like put it out in the actual world, you now have like a responsibility to yourself in order yeah. to uphold that. Like think about it. Like if you're struggling with, I don't know, let's say you can't focus, you can't focus, you can't focus, whatever it is. And you just kind of let that manifest in your head, but you're like, focus to yourself out loud. You're like, focus here. Or like, just give me five minutes to focus. You now have mm -hmm. like an obligation to yourself in order f to fulfill that promise to yourself. Yeah. I, I think you've got to get it out of your head. Um, I think that's where caddies really come in handy a lot of times for players. They have some, like, part of the caddy's job is just to sit there and take it. It's like, I can't believe so-and-so was saying that to their caddy, and I wouldn't recommend it, and I, I don't encourage it. And if anything, I push against it. But part of the caddy's job, and they know this, is to just take the heat. I, I saw a quote one time that Which was Which might like, be why Bryson quit. Or why Bryson's caddy, caddy quit. Well he, had, well, he had some <laughs> other things going on, too, in life. For sure. It was just a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, no. But, like, there's, this, there's a certain sense of 
Um, we've all run into people who are just like, they're just dumping their crap all over you. I, I saw a quote that's like, everybody's a garbage truck. And when that load gets full, we need somewhere to dump it. And sometimes it just happens to get dumped on the wrong person at the wrong time. But you need a place to dump it. You can't hold on to it. So getting out of here, journaling was very good for me in uh, college. I did it late in college. I really enjoyed that. Like I had a much more stress-free life even under my final two years of college, which were some of the hardest things to, to handle. Um, so, you know, I just, I think that's really big that you learn how to just manage your stress by write it down, get it out. I agree. So, um, you want to do one more? Yeah, one more. This is actually a bit interesting one. Would Tiger have won, uh, would he have won so much if he had social media accounts growing up? Yes, because I don't think Earl Woods would let him have it. I'm going to say... Um, uh, on on the premise that Earl Woods doesn't like, with the discipline that Earl Woods... like, Yeah. He was so... like That family was separate from everything else that was already normal in the world. So he was already pulling Tiger away from that. I was about to say, that's why I say no, that he wouldn't have won as much. Because whether you have it or not... or we, are you, Is that what you're saying? That he wouldn't have won as much? No, I'm saying he would have won as much simply because dad would have not allowed it. Like that family structure is... That was protected sacred space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the range. I think we're on the same page here. I'm I, again. I'm going to say that, but I'm going to say we're on the same page. But I'm going to say he wouldn't have won if he had the social media as much. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Because whether you, whether you like it or not, when you get introduced to the social space, and this is something that even I'm trying to kind of rein in a little bit more. Happened to Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But like when you start comparing yourself, whether it's consciously or subconsciously to other people that you see first of all it can be a good thing or a bad thing but if you're somebody who is as prodigal as tiger if you start stooping to other people's opinions other people's swings other people's thoughts about you you're just not going to be you're you're not going to reach your full potential and so that's what i'm trying to do right now especially in my personal life is just rein it all in a little bit and focus on yourself a little bit more than you do with the world via social and the phone. Well, it's really embarrassing when your son says, "Dad, I put your phone away. You're gonna miss all. You're gonna miss all the fun." And he's right. That's the worst part. Is he's right. Average American spends six to seven hours a day, and in some cases higher than that, on their phone. On the just, just the phone. I think it gets we worse. We talked about TV and exactly. Netflix and chill. And I feel like it gets worse, though, when like it's hard because our everything blends together now. Yeah. Where like I have to use this tool for work, but I'm also using it for pleasure, too. Right. So it's like the lines get blurred so much where it's not like a video game where you're like, hey, I can turn it off and it's done, you know? It's like we, we carry around these tools that can be used for better or for worse. It's just up to you. There's a bunch of counselors out there that say that it's not hurting it and it's not whatever. The ones that are qualified are like, this is damaging. This, we have proven data that this stuff is damaging uh, to the human brain, to people's emotional well-being, personal well-being, family well-being, et cetera, in countless ways. Um, 
because there are, and this is the phrase I've heard from them, there are no stops. It's yeah. like imagine an alcoholic who could keep drinking and never, never get sick. What's funny too? There when is you, no stop when you're on um, when you're on TikTok. If you're scrolling for long enough, TikTok actually has this one TikTok that they pull up. If you've been scrolling for a long time, and it says, "Hold on, hold on, why don't you put the phone down and stop scrolling for a little bit? Go outside, get a drink of water, get something to eat, and like." Because That's funny. you can get into this scrolling. Like, I want to test it to see how long it takes to do it. I, I think it's probably like I think it's like forty-five minutes or something like that. Oh my gosh! Can I just have an app? Can I have like a, <laughs> build a machine that just scrolls for me and just see how long it actually takes? But like you can get into this cycle where it's like the huh. next the next entertainment is literally just a swipe up away, and if you if you don't like rein it in with yourself, you can be like, man, I've been on here for a long time. And I wonder what some people who are like so addicted to their phones and so addicted to like let's say TikTok, I wonder how long they could go without realizing that they haven't gotten off in a while. It's just interesting. Mm. No, it, it's definitely worth conversing about. Um, let's take one more and then cut it for the night. We may have uh, Jeff. Jeff's got a question live here, so Jeff, come on up to the mic. This will be <laughs> our final question of the night. Sorry for those that sent more questions. We'll address them uh, next week. Hey guys, I have two if you don't mind. Um, so Fine. first question, Scott, with, with your help, I've been able to get a handicap from the 18-19 range down into the mid-11s. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So, That's great. But I kind of feel like I've hit a wall. So okay. I, in order to kind of keep driving it down to get it into the low single digits, I'd have to consistently shoot low 80s, which is a challenge for me. So yep. curious, your, your best advice for a mid-handicapper to kind of keep driving the handicap down and getting it... Uh, you know, into the single uh, digits. It's gonna be it's gonna be short game as I mentioned earlier. It's it's gonna be wedges and putting. There's gotta be so much more precision there. You've gotta be able to pitch the ball inside of two or three feet far more often than you do. Um, I would also consider ball placement. So one of the things um, I know that sounds like really difficult if you really think about like, oh place your ball in the correct place. Well I'm an eleven, I'm trying to get to a seven or an eight. Well, how do I just improve my ball placement with my current game? I did this with somebody the other day. I said, all right, let's assume you're going to a back flag. And Jeff, how far is your 7-iron approximately? Okay, so Jeff said 160. Um, so 160 yards to, let's say, a back flag. Let's say your 6-iron is not all that great. We'll come down to a 7-iron. Well, That'll put you in the middle of the green. You can come all the way down to an eight. That puts you short of the green. And most likely, given your game, you'd have more control over the eight than you would have over the seven and more control over the seven than you would have over the six. Now, it seems crazy to go, hey, I've got to come that far short, but you're going to leave yourself with a pitch that's usually fairly simple. You might even get on the front of the green for that matter. Um, so I would go ball placement. Kind of think about a different way you might play the golf course when it comes to certain flags and certain clubs. Or play to your favorite yardage to pitch on. Like, part of getting down to the low 80s, if you think about it, if we go low 80s, so let's say par right now is 71 out here. Let's say you're trying to get to 82. That's 11 bogeys and 7 pars. So, uh, kind of to earlier, like, I like breaking things down more simply. I had a guy go, you know, man, I just got to get 1,000 reps of this setup routine and I'll have it. And that sounds like a lot. He was saying it like, man, that's a lot. I said, well, you can do five or six a minute, and you can, do, you can do 10 minutes of that every day. 
10 minutes every day for a week is 350 reps. 350 reps for a month, a week, that's just 10 minutes a day. You got 10 minutes. Put the phone down. You got 10 minutes. Speaking of the phone. So it's getting the rep count in. It's kind of breaking down the way of seeing the game. So I, I would go short game, wedges, 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 putting, putting, putting. Wedges, putting, wedges, putting, wedges, wedges, putting, putting. Um, I think to your to your point too, it's about what do you like? What is the we we had a, a podcast that just went out with Scott Spector called "Where Do You Shine?" Oh yeah, and um, what a great title! That was a great yeah, <laughs> great job. But talking about where do you shine, right? It's like what is like the the strength of your game, and how can you leverage that in order to shoot your desired score, right? So it's like. For me, I feel like where do you shine? It's like my tee shots and probably my and your length and my middle irons and my length probably, right? And so like if I can utilize those, then I'm going to be able to just kind of tidy up the short game, putt a few, and I'm right there at like, you know, 74, 75 where I'm trying to get to. But like what Scott was saying too with man, I need a 5 iron to get this thing nestled right into the pin. It's like, well, like what if it can be a seven and a chip, a seven chip and right, a putt? Right. You know, it's like really trying to digest where do you shine and how you can leverage that to your uh, to your greatest ability. Uh, yeah. Is is the can you flip the? It should be on the side right where the open clip part is. Is it up? Uh, Hang on, we got some technical difficulties. Should I say something. Yeah, there you go. Get him Jack's mic. All right, guys. Since uh, since they're teeing off in five or six hours for uh, recreational purposes only, I'm interested in a couple guys you guys like at the Open this week. Ooh, a couple guys we like at the Open. Open predictions. Um, I like a low ball flight player. We're going to go. I, I need to know who's in. Rombo, baby. Rombo. Rom, Gary Woodland. Um, any of the European guys. I wish Bubba was playing. Bubba would do. He would kick absolute um, ass. And then uh, Fleetwood's always a good pick. Any of the European yeah. guys are going to be great. Rory, um, Rory, maybe it could be his coming out party. Maybe I would love to see him play well. Um, <clears throat> I, I just I think you have to have experience playing those conditions. So I'm going to go more veteran players here. Um, My pick's going to be Rombo can, for DJ that DJ can reason. hit it really low. Um, you got to be able to hit a lot of blind shots on Royal St. George. So there's just a lot of hitting into dead space like oh so i'm just gonna hit over that that thing there and good luck communicating that to your caddy it helps that they have like towers up a little bit but you really don't know where you're hitting it into so um i'm trying to think of guys that that may have played in conditions like that well were you thinking about that i'm gonna go ahead and justify my pick with rombo i really like rom especially coming off of uh his victory at the u.s open He's a European, so he's he's well traveled. He's played at a lot of places. He's a he's a veteran. He's been on the he's been on the stage for a little bit, um, and he has that low ball flight, lower ball flight, especially with his short and compact swing. I think a mixture of that, as well as how well he was putting at the U.S. Open as well. Talking about a course like Royal St. George's, where like there's not much fringe, you know, you can use, you can really use that putter to your advantage if that's some, if that's one of your strong suits. So being able to, uh, you know, put the ball well, especially on these really pacey greens 
and fringes, I think yeah. is gonna uh, is gonna really be um, an advantage to somebody who can use that well. I just think you can't go wrong with DJ. Yeah. What about um? What about thoughts on Bryson? No. I mean, I agree, but no. Uh, even he said, like, it's my first time putting this out here. We'll see how it goes. Like, he's okay just trying. Like, dude's totally fine. I'm just like, oh, let's see how it goes and figure it out. But in the same sense, that's what won him. Well, I take that back. I feel like that's won him a couple of his earlier starts as well. I, I just don't think he can do it here. Like, I, I agree. Just, I, there's, there's just too much other stuff. It's so much like whistling straights, this golf course. You just mm. – Especially no. with how towering Bryson's ball flights are, just in general, can't does do not that. chalk up well to the wind. You just can't do that out there. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I would leave it. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a good ass Sherlock. As always, remember to follow Scott on Instagram at SSE Golf, as well as download the Franklin Bridge Performance app. That's where we're going to put a lot of new stuff, a lot of exclusive stuff that you're not going to be able to find uh, over here on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you guys are listening on. So uh, make sure that you download the Franklin Bridge Performance app, and we're going to be doing uh, giveaways, exclusive content. Um, we're going to be posting a lot of stuff that you're not going to see on Instagram over there. Um, so make sure that you download the Franklin Bridge Performance app. we got a lot of awesome things going uh, and coming down the pipe, so make sure that you tune into that. So uh, without further ado, it's been Scott and Jack from the back porch of Franklin Bridge. See you on the next one. Peace. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at Golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always... Feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards, come on inside, get some food, some drinks. Uh, we got some specials going on. We have some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode, and then a live Q&A, and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays. We hope to see you soon, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.